Welcome, folks, to the 18th episode of No Conference for Old Men, the podcast where three old guys are talking Houston Cougars basketball with a bit of Big 12 coverage added in as well. And proud members of the GoCougs.com network, the undisputed number one Houston Cougars content provider. Having just completed the most grueling and arguably the most pivotal stretch of games for us this conference season, our Houston Cougars are 11-1 and over the last 12 games and remain in sole possession of first place in the Big 12 after again relying on RD to take care of a road win at Baylor, as well as fighting off fatigue and sweeping Cincy at home. It was a total team effort to win these past two games, with Roberts and then Cryer taking turns leading the charge to the wins. And now we're atop the standings with our final stretch of three games to go. Hopefully the team will be well-rested and recovered as they travel to Norman to play OU for our only meeting of the year with them, and then to UCF to complete the return mirror game for a tough two-road game stretch. So lots to discuss this week again. And today, all three of us are back again with Tom Lidiak, former coach, Bill Walker, former player, and myself, Steve Chang, analytics guy, for this episode. Same format, summarizing Houston's two wins this past week, then a quick update on the Big 12 games we each highlighted last week, then pivot to the preview of the upcoming two games, and finally round up some additional Big 12 games of interest. So let's get right into it. Tale of two halves in our OT win over Baylor in what was probably our biggest win of the season, given it was on the road in Waco. In recapping the Cougars' road win over Baylor, Tom, why don't you kick us off with your coach's thoughts on our 82-76 OT win that left fans elated with another win over the hated Bears in our inaugural season in the Big 12. Well, first off, I think that game took about 20 years off my life. (laughs) If you've been a Cougar fan for very long, 41-25 lead is nothing, especially against a good team. But I was excited to watch this game for several different reasons. One, we're ranked in the top. I think we were at number two coming in. Baylor was uh, number 11, I think it was. Yeah. An electric crowd. Another reason is, uh, you know, coming from the coaching perspective, I was interested to see what defense Baylor would come out in. Uh, Some of you guys know that Scott Drew played that zone defense for a lot of years. Then he went back to man-to-man, I think, around the championship year. But this year, right before, right during the Iowa State game, he came back out in his 1-1-3. So I was interested to see what defense they would come out in, and they indeed came out in the, the 1-1-3. One thing I want to get out of the way, it's uh, some people call it a 1-3-1. It's, it's not a 1-3-1. It, just, it looks like a 1-3-1, but what you have is you have the two guards up top. They play what's called a tandem. Basically, one plays the ball while the other one plays the high post. I call it the logo area. You have your X5, your big Missy in the middle, and then you have two wings that extend high, and that's what makes it look like a 1-3-1. The wings extend high because they, they're there to take away any kind of rhythm three from the pass from the point to, to the wing. They get in the passing lane, and they're trying to make the ball lob to the corner. That gives them a little air time to recover to the corner man, so... It's a one-one-three. It's not pure zone. It has they do match up out of it, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in the second half. Where it's hard to tell what defense they're in because of uh, the matchup principles. But anyway, they started off in their one-one-three, and first eight possessions we scored on four of them, and then Baylor goes man to man, and 
we proceed to score on seven of the next eight possessions. Wow. First, they're man-to-man, and then Baylor goes back to their 1-1-3, one, one, except for on baseline out-of-bounds plays. And then um, from there, they had, I think, the next two baseline out-of-bounds plays we had against their man-to-man. We scored on those also. So man-to-man was definitely not the defense to play against U of H. We ended up going 10 for 12 against Baylor's man-to-man in the first half. The only time we didn't score was uh, LJ had a wide-open transition three that he missed, and the other time was when we had like seven and a half seconds left on the clock in the first half, and we had a sideline out-of-bounds play. So, Steve, like you said, it was a tale of two halves, 41-25 at halftime. They outscored us, it looks like, 44-28. I know some people talked about our offense in the second half, but I probably spent about five or six hours on this game just because I was intrigued at how we attacked their zone because you don't see it much anymore in, in college basketball uh, for a lot of different reasons. But spent a lot of time, and I thought our second half offense was good. We threw the ball away one time. One time, JVA just waited. He could have probably just dunked it, and then he ends up getting underneath the basket and throws up almost like an air ball. We missed some open threes, but I didn't think anything was wrong with our offense in the second half, but I did think there was something wrong with our defense. And I went through each possession, and we just had some breakdowns on defense, which is kind of uncharacteristic of us. Uh, you got to give a lot of credit to Scott Drew for kind of a chess match him and Kelvin were playing with. They did go with four perimeters. Jalen Bridges was a, a matchup nightmare a couple he times. Was. On based on out of bounds plays, we go man to man, but we put one of our bigs on the ball, and they had a guard bring the ball in, so they brought it in, and our big was caught on one of their guards one time. JoJo was caught on, I think it was Ray J, and he took him off the dribble. And then another time, I think it was JVA was on the ball, and they brought it in, and uh, this time I think it was none that took him off the dribble to the hole. I don't think Joan has a whole lot of experience guarding on the perimeter, and there were several times where there was miscommunication between Joan and another one of our players. I think it was LJ one time where they just set a simple pin down screen, and Joan was late getting out there. And you know, it's what they say in the NBA is hand down, man down. I mean, if you're not there on the catch, yeah. they're going to they're going to drain them. Baylor did hit some incredible shots. They did. I think Bridges hit one from the M on that Mark guy's <laughs> name that donated to the court, I think it was. Yeah. That was I mean, he's the sweetest shooting stretch four I've seen in college this year. Just incredible. Yeah. Basketball's a game of mistakes and victory favors the team that makes the less of them. So it might sound harsh when I go through some of these defensive possessions, but that's just what I saw. And of course, Baylor missed some of the same shots in the first half that they made in the second half, but I just didn't think our defense was where it needed to be in the in the second half. How about you, Bill? What do you think from a player's perspective? Well, in my opinion, Baylor's the scariest team in the conference, especially Yeah, I agree. As it pertains to us. I mean, Iowa State, don't get me wrong, they're really good, really, really good. They're gonna end up the number two seed in the conference tournament. But they're just a slightly lesser version of us. Everyone for Baylor, minus their athletic seven-footer Misi, is really a three-level scorer. 
They are really good offensively. And they were scary versus us offensively. The key was that they were only scary in the second half, not in the first half and not especially in overtime. And they only scored 25, as you alluded to, Tom, in the first half. They scored seven in overtime, but there were a couple of basically uncontested layups right at the end uh, when the game had already been decided. So we stepped up when we needed to. You know, I previously stated that one thing we needed to do against them, because they do basically play four guards. I know Bridges is a little taller. He played forward as well, but he's really a big guard. We needed to dominate the boards. We needed to score inside. We needed to protect the ball to win. They out-rebounded us by eight, which I did not expect. But Roberts and Francis were actually really good, especially on the offensive end. 11 of 14 from the floor. Roberts went 7 of 9 and scored 17, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. Turnovers. We talked about them being susceptible to turning the ball over a lot. We committed 8 for the game. They committed 19. We created 14 steals to their 4. That all goes to the defense, which is always just outstanding. I mean, this is one of the best offensive teams in the nation. They scored 66 points in overtime. So just a great defensive game. I know, Tom, you would mentioned some defensive lapses, but if we give up 66 to Baylor in, in overtime, I'm okay with that every single time. Yeah, agreed. There were just some things that we didn't do correctly. Like one time, JVA didn't come out on the line of scrimmage on a pick and roll. And then he ended up getting just obliterated on a drive to the basket. So one time Emmanuel didn't block out. He had, I think, Bridges and, you know, he didn't even look at Bridges and Bridges came flying in from the corner and got a rebound and then got fouled. So they were uncharacteristic. Uh, We're still number one in the country, I believe, in defense. Right, Steve? Yep. Yes. So, I mean, they're not robots. They're humans. You know, they make mistakes. And like I said, you know, basketball is a game of mistakes. You're going to make them. You just don't, don't want to make uh, too many of them. I thought all five of our starters played really well. You know, Sharp and Cryer yeah. scored 18 and 15 points respectively while going 12 of 12 from the line, many of those late in the game and in overtime. Shed didn't have a particularly good shooting game, went 5 of 17 from the floor, but 10 assists in addition to really making – along with Sharp, Cryer, and Wilson really making their guards work for everything that they got. And I think they absolutely did that. There's no question we're the best team in the Big 12, but given my choice, I would much rather have going into the Big 12 tournament, and I'll preface this by saying that I think that we'll have the one seed in the NCAAs sewn up by the time the Big 12 tournament starts. I'd prefer to have... Baylor as a two or a three seed, not meet them until the finals. I'd much rather face a team like Kansas or Tech or anyone else. I think Baylor could be good in the tournament. Great win for us. This was the one I thought we could lose, but yeah, great game. Yeah, agreed. I actually predicted a loss, so I'm pleasantly surprised by the hard-nosed win that our team pulled off. Starters remain the same. Shed, Cryer, Sharp, Roberts, and Francis. 
if you break this game into quartiles like Ken Palm does, we dominated the first two quartiles of the game where we ended up leading 41-25 at the half, as we've discussed, while Baylor completely flipped the narrative in the third and fourth quartiles to send the game into OT. Our D was dominant in the first half, weakened a bit as they started to hit almost every three in the second, and then we came back strong on D again when it counted in OT. Funny story that you guys knew from our texting during the game. I was unable to watch the overtime live on the West Coast because ESPN actually cut the feed over to the Arizona-Washington game. And I had to go online to watch the replay afterwards. So it was really the game cast that I was following through the computer. It's It was crazy. Even the feeds that they had highlighted going to, I think, ESPN News or whatever was not the right feed. It was still the Arizona game. So it was extremely frustrating. Hey, what do you expect when you decide to move to California? Oh, I know. What can I hey, say? Hey, Steve, that, that was your uh, Heidi game. Do you guys remember that one? Ever heard of the Heidi game? No. Raiders, Jets, yes. They cut to the movie Heidi. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. I was so angry at that point. I was trying every feed. Couldn't get it. Anyways, as stated earlier by you both, Juwan Roberts was the star of the game for UH. I mean, he was a stat stuffer. 17 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, 6 steals, and 3 blocks, and a player box score plus minus plus 22.1 for the game, according to Bart Torvik. But to win on the road, especially at Baylor, that, that caliber of a team, everyone had to contribute in a big way. Emmanuel Sharp was on point with 18 points, 6 of 6 from the free throw line, and a player box score, plus minus, plus 4.3. Cryer had a highly efficient 15 points, 3 of 7 from three-point range, 6 of 6 as well from the free throw line, and a player box score, plus minus 9.1. Just couldn't have come at a better time. Now, for the Baylor game from an advanced analytics perspective, it was pretty eye-popping for me. On offense, we played almost as efficiently as the UT game, which we all highlighted as probably our best game of the season on O. Our effective field goal percentage was above standard at 52.46% versus basically 49.5% standard this year. But we continue to protect the ball better and better in conference play with turnover percentage at 11.43%. For this game, which is better than our number six standard for the year at 13.4%. But we did offensive rebound below standard at 31%. And that kind of hurt us, especially in the second half. On D, though we started well, the second half was tough against Baylor's elite offense. They shot at an extremely high clip for the game with 52.7% effective field goal percentage, which is quite a bit above our 43.9% standard on D this year. But we blocked 16.7% of their two-point shots right at standard, limited their two-point shooting to 46.7% from the field, and first turnovers on 26% of their possessions with steals on 19% of their possessions. So just incredible stuff on D. As a recurring theme, Coach Drew referenced during the postgame press conference how his team was not prepared to deal with how physical we were on D, which is just an amazing comment given this is the Big 12. 
another extremely satisfying win this season, given it was Baylor at their place in our history with that program. They are truly the team that I hate the most in the Big 12. But as we highlighted last week, a super quick turnaround for a Tuesday matchup versus Cincy at home to complete one of our mirror games. And this one was about leaning on our Elite D and fighting through fatigue in a grinding 67-59 win over Cincy at home as we swept our series with them this season while continuing our eight-game win streak against that program dating back to the American Athletic Conference. Bill, why don't you go first? What are your thoughts on the game from a player's perspective? Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. It's a bit of a tale of two halves. We won the first half 26-17, but lost the second 42-41 to a team that's actually been playing really poorly and has even quit in a couple of recent losses. But, you know, give them credit. They played hard for the entire game. I mean, at halftime, you know, they had 17 points. We had seven steals to one for them at halftime. They committed 10 turnovers in the first half, which obviously we forced. They were 7 of 27 from the field and 1 of 10 from behind the arc. We just absolutely clamped down on them defensively in the first half. And that's despite Shed shooting 0 of 7 from the field. However, just to amend that, he also had six assists in the first half. He is so good at finding not only the open shooter, but the right shooter who's open. Yeah. You know, whether that's Cryer, Roberts down low, whether it's Francis. Sharp, yeah. He gets the ball to the right player and he gets the ball to them in positions where they're able to shoot comfortably and he does everything else. Yeah. I mean he makes um, winning plays, right? So that's right. They absolutely out-rebounded us for the game. They out-rebounded us by a dozen, and they turned their shooting around in the second half. They took advantage of, I don't want to say nonchalant defense. I mean, we've had such a brutal stretch of games, and, and it's I know it's brutal for everyone in the Big 12, but with Baylor, with Iowa State, you know, a big emotional game with UT at home, and a couple Cincinnati games who's a rival. And now that we've got, you know, sort of some depth issues with Ramon going out. I mean, whether they were tired, as you mentioned, Steve, but there was really never any doubt that we were going to lose. I mean, we were up 17 at one point and they hit some threes and they, you know, they got back into it and they played hard for the entire game. We discussed last week how Cincinnati is extremely turnover prone and how they hadn't committed many turnovers against us the first time. Well, little different this time. We committed 10 to their 19. We forced 15 steals, which is exceptional, versus their four. Cryer may be turning the corner right now because he's had some better shooting games. He certainly shot well last night, yep. particularly in the first half, and, and absolutely carried the Cougs with his shooting. Juwan played well again, four six from the field, seven of nine from the line and yeah he was aggressive throughout again shed had the poor shooting game uh, he went two of 11 for the entire game but once again he 11 assists he got the ball to the right people he had four steals of our 15 and just played a 
great game. Just the shots weren't falling. But the one guy in particular that I want to highlight is Javier. Yeah, I mean, he was a monster. He only took three shots, but he was three of three from the field, five boards, three steals, two blocks. I mean, he was everywhere. I mean, especially on the defensive end, he played great. I mean, he really, really was impressive. I think he had three blocks even. This wasn't anywhere close to the 21-point win that I predicted. But the bottom line is we're one step closer to the conference title in year one in the Big 12. So very good win. Nice. How about you, Tom, from a coach's perspective? Before I talk about Cincinnati, uh, Steve, you forgot one important metric for the Baylor game. Yeah. We played great free throw defense on Missy. On that last free throw. <laughs> I don't know. Is there a metric for that? <laughs> you know, I know he hasn't been good for the year, and I know missing that one really ate at him. He was four for four from free throw line the very next game. Did you read well, about that? The basketball gods, we had our favor because when Rob Jones hit those four for four at Ames, that never happens. And yeah. That was like the difference in the game, you know, uh, lost by four and he hit four free throws. But anyway, I'm just throwing that out for kicks and giggles. But if Missy had hit that free throw. What's that? If Missy had hit that free throw, Shed would have just shot that three at the buzzer about a split second earlier. So either way, we would have won. (laughs) Yeah, that was... uh, that was an unbelievable shot. Unfortunately, you know, it, it didn't count. Not a whole lot to add to what Bill said about the Cincy game. Jamal Shedd, he's a point guard's point guard. Uh, as a coach, when I think of a point guard, I think of somebody like Jamal Shedd. You know, he can score when the team needs it, but he doesn't have to. You know, we saw that in the non-conference games where other guys were open and they took, you know, majority of the shots. But he's an extension of Coach Samson on the floor. Another thing I'd like to point out is, once again, like on the message boards and Twitter or whatever, you know, some comments about our offense, talking heads, you know, same thing, <laughs> talking about our offense. But you know what? We still scored 67 points. We scored, what, 40, yeah. what was it, uh, 41, Bill, at the second half. And just to give yes. you a comparison, Kansas was at home last night and they scored 68. <laughs> and nobody talked about their their bad offense. You know, it's I think you mentioned yeah. it. It was a pretty yeah. sixty eight, right? <laughs> if, if we if we wanted to, we could play pretty offense. You know, we could get a shot in the first 10, 12, 14 seconds of the shot clock, but it wouldn't be complimentary basketball that goes with our defense and our rebounding. And there's something about basketball in that the quicker you shoot, for some reason the the worse your defense is. I think it all has to do with the mentality. You know, it's almost like it's, uh, and might have to go back to discipline, uh, I think, but exactly. There's a reason. I mean, coach Sampson's a hall of fame coach. He has a style of play that wins. And they were saying that back in his Oklahoma days, you know, about, uh, he needed an offensive coordinator or whatever. But anyway, we had that stretch where Emmanuel Sharp hit those two threes right in a row. Yep. That's called Rocket. We saw that with Sasser, too, where yes. it's not just happenstance. That's planned, where you dribble and then come to a jump stop and you pitch back to a three-point shooter. So 
that pretty much was the game right there, that 8-0 run after okay. Jamal got whacked in the berries or with his gut or whatever. But he hit those two free throws, and then Sharp comes back with the two threes, and that was an 8-0 run. I think we went from a nine-point lead to a 17-point lead. Yep. And after that, we just kind of limped across the finish line. It's kind of like when a cat plays with its food, you know? <laughs> just That's what it kind of reminded me of. It's like, come on, just just – Eat the damn thing. That's kind of way, it, you know, I saw the end there. Uh, probably could have carved up that half-court trap a couple more times and finished it off with some dunks. But, hey, you know what? It is what it is. It's a Big 12 dub. We're 12-3. and three. We're first in the conference. When a lot of people th- thought that, that we couldn't make it in a big boy league after we started off one and two with those two losses at Iowa State and at TCU. And, you know, look where we're at now. Uh, Bill, you mentioned uh, JVA. I think Fran Fischilla calls him the best 6-6 six and six guy in the country. That's probably the best explanation you can say about JVA. And it's amazing how much better he's gotten from the non-conference to, to right now. I was privileged to attend a practice uh, back in November, and uh, Coach Sampson made a comment to JVA after he made like a step, bounce, hop, move to the basket. He stopped practicing. He said, you're getting better. You're getting better. Mm-hmm. And But overall, Coach Sampson said, press conference, if you listen to it, we just need to be a little refreshed, 10 days, four tough games. And I got a sneaking suspicion when we go to Oklahoma, you're going to see a very energized, energetic University yeah. of Houston Cougar <clears throat> basketball team. For me, I love the win, quite honestly. I was just relieved to get out of there with a W and no new injuries. So I'm a happy camper. Starters remain the same. Things started very quickly for us in the first half with Cryer leading the way to a 16-10 lead in the first quartile of the game, according to Ken Palm. Pretty even in the second quartile with us taking a 26-17 lead into the half on a sharp three at the buzzer. We then extended the lead a little bit in the third quartile and as you guys had highlighted, basically hung on while fighting fatigue from our toughest stretch of games to grind out the physical 67-59 win. But Cryer was the star, ending with 24 points, 4 of 10 from three-point range, 4 of 5 from the free throw line, 2 assists, 3 steals, and was a player box score plus minus 20.5 for the game. Roberts was definitely feeling the grind from the Baylor game, and really only had two days between games, but Francis came up huge, as you had highlighted, Bill, for this game, delivering six points, five rebounds, three blocks, which I confirmed, and three steals, and completely disrupting Cincy in the paint, and was a player box score plus minus 9.6 for the game. Another physical outing versus Cincy, which they always are, and it's just been the MO for our games with them over the years. They always get up for us. As you dig into the advanced analytics from Ken Palm on offense, we had a rough outing against their tough number 22 ranked D. Our effective field goal percentage was below norm at 45.4%, where we've been roughly at 50% for the year. We also didn't protect the ball that well either with turnover percentage at 15.2% versus 13.4% as our standard for the year. And unfortunately, we also did an offensive rebound great at 36.7%. But on D, as is always the case, it carried the day for us. 
We limited Cincy to 44.3% effective field goal percentage, doing exceptionally well on their threes, where they only hit 26.3% from three-point range. We also forced them into turnovers on 30% of their possessions. That's crazy, with 15 steals contributing to that tally. And it was an important home win for our Cougars against Cincy. And still, we remain alone atop the leaderboard of the Big 12 Conference standings. But of course, the No Conference for Old Men Big 12 presents a new set of challenges each and every week. And this time, it's a trip to Norman Saturday to face OU for our only game with them this season before turning around for yet another road game at UCF next Wednesday. But before we get to those games, let's each summarize the Big 12 games each of us highlighted last week. Tom, you want to kick things off? Which game were you watching? I know it was Kansas. I got to look back and see which one I had. Can I talk about the BYU game? Go ahead. Talk about whichever game you want to talk about. Okay. Let's talk about BYU last night. Yes. (laughs) BYU was down 12 points on the road at the Fog, the KU. Came back and ended up, I think, winning by winning by eight. Now, granted, KU didn't have McCullough playing, but every team, you know, has injuries. Like Coach Sampson is, he's want to say, everybody's a sprained ankle away from mediocrity. You know, nobody's feeling sorry for us without having to play without Terrence and and Ramon and Juwan with with the bum knee. So nobody's feeling sorry for Kansas here, but. BYU hit some incredible shots to finish off the game. It was a great game for BYU. I think they came into the game at 7-7 in the conference. It gives Kansas six losses. They're 8-6. and six. Kansas now has to go play Baylor on the road on Saturday, and then they, uh, they, they come to our place to finish the season. So it's possible Kansas could have eight losses in the Big 12 this year and go in 10-8. You know, yeah, welcome to the big boy league there, Kansas. <laughs> I know I had another Kansas game, but... But that was definitely the interesting one, right? A bit of a shock. Yeah, last yeah. Night. Yeah, I can't remember the other one I had. It wasn't as good because Kansas won. <laughs> nice. How about you, Bill? What game did you have? I had UT at Tech, which was played last night right after our game. And fortunately, I got home quickly enough to see a, an okay amount of the game. Steve, due to our dinner bet, uh, he will finish <laughs> higher in the conference. <laughs> Last night could not have gone any better. Not for you. Uh, you, you. Well, of course. Who else? <laughs> U of H wins. My pick in the who will finish higher in the Big 12 bet, BYU, as Tom just reviewed one at Kansas and your pick Texas Tech <laughs> really took it on the chin at home against UT which uh, surprised which, me which, quite honestly well it surprised me as well and I've talked about it a lot how well I thought UT has been playing especially yeah. kind of the second half of the season I still thought that Tech would end up winning the game by seven and you know, shockingly this game was virtually over from the opening tip I know Texas was up 47-23 at half and was up by more in the second half before closing Tech out by 12. What this does at this point, it puts UT now at 18-10, and 7-8 and eight in the conference. But that win 
they're still predicted maybe a nine or a 10 seed in the NCAAs, but I think that win kind of secures the NCAAs for them. Tech's now 19 and nine, eight and seven, tied at eight and seven with BYU. One really interesting moment, and Tom, you and I were discussing it earlier, came when UT forward uh, Brock Cunningham just laid out Tech guard uh, Davian Williams while chasing a loose ball. Cunningham never even looked at the ball. I mean, he was, I mean, this was a football play. And, uh, you know, I think Steve Sarkeesian should, (laughs) you know, should look into giving Cunningham a scholarship because maybe UT goes to the national championship game if if they've got someone hitting that hard on on the football team. Yeah, just a dirty play. Oh, I mean, he had no intention getting to the ball and I just laid a blindside block on Williams. Yeah, that was brutal. He was ejected as he should have been with a flagrant two. But what became interesting was that not only did Tech shoot technical free throws from the flagrant two, but Texas ended up shooting free throws as well because while the officials were reviewing everything, the the Tech fans just showered the court with plastic you know, water and Coke bottles and and anything else they could find to throw. And then, you know, they make the announcement and then more came down. And it was so bad that Grant McCaslin, yeah, Tech's is... coach, had to get on the mic and address the fans and pointing out the obvious that they were causing tech problems and more technicals could be called on tech because of what the fans were doing. It's pretty embarrassing, just, quite honestly, for a fan base. Oh, absolutely. Right? I mean, I zeroed in on the Baylor at TCU game, which came two days after our game with Baylor, and it did not turn out the way I expected, predicting an eight-point win at home for TCU. But it was really no contest, and the Baylor Bears were really impressive in regrouping quickly after their loss to us to rebound with the 62-54 win on the road. Jalen Bridges, who killed us, was key to the win for Baylor with 15 points, four of six from three-point range, eight rebounds, four steals, and a player box score plus minus 14.2 for the game. An 18-2 run for Baylor in the third quartile of the game basically doomed TCU. It was a low-scoring game, so you might have guessed that this was a very defensive-focused game. But I watched this from beginning to end, and I'll be honest, I thought it was more about missing shots than tough D on either side. Both turned the ball over a ton, neither shot well, but it was a matter of Baylor dominating the boards, 41-29, to and their top players coming through in Bridges and Missy. Now let's get to the game preview for the upcoming UH-OU matchup, another tough road game. Bill, what do you think of our game coming up in Norman? Yeah, this game's uh, Saturday. It's at 7 o'clock on ESPN2. Oklahoma is, I believe they're playing at ISU right now. So let's assume that State holds serve, and that would put OU at 19-9 and and either 9th or 10th in the conference. Kind of a tough two-game stretch at Iowa State when they get us. That's yeah, OU's struggling right now. They they lost by 17 at Baylor. They lost by 10 at home against Kansas. They won by two 
in overtime on a last-second three to beat Oklahoma State in Stillwater, and they're at Iowa State tonight. It's kind of a not a great stretch for OU, especially as they're sinking a little bit in the conference, and they're in the tournament right now, and, and I'm assuming that they'll remain in, but they're starting to get a little sketchy. Yeah, OU's got some talented players. They play eight players consistently, so they, they've got a bench. Everyone plays. They're solid offensively. They're good defensively. They move the ball pretty well. But like a lot of the other Big 12 teams that we've talked about recently, they are pretty sloppy with the ball, and they'll tend to turn it over. I'll mention a few players just because this is the first time we've really talked about them. Yeah. Javin McCollum, their 6'2 guard, he leads them at 14 points a game, but he shoots only 41% from the field. Otega Owa, he's a 6'5 guard. He is a good shooter. He, he's only scoring 12 points. He's their second leading scorer, but four boards, but he shoots 51% from the field, 41% from three. So he, he's someone that we'll want to pay attention to. Uh, Milos uh, Uzan. 10.9, 10-point game scorer, three-and-a-half boards. Point guard leads him four-and-a-half assists, but he's only a 39% shooter from the field. And then the last one I'll mention is Jalen Moore, 6'7 forward, 11 points a game, six-and-a-half boards. So he, he's their top rebounder, 55% from the field. And uh, although he doesn't shoot a lot of them, he, he shoots 42% from three. So they've got some shooters. They'll hit shots. If they're open, we need to stay on them. And it's another game where, where we simply need to create turnovers because they are turnover prone. You know, we pound the ball inside, hopefully win the rebound battle, and just guard their shooters. I think this will be a tougher game than a lot of people think. I, I think we end up winning a 68-63, five-point win. Oh, wow. That's not like you to predict such a close margin. Well, it's <laughs> as, as I know, as we've certainly deciphered throughout this season, it's not easy to win on the road. Absolutely not. In, in the Big 12. And it's not like when we went into Iowa State, you know, being the only undefeated team or, you know, immediately thereafter going to TCU where they were fired up as well but uh it is brutal playing on the road in the big 12 yeah i like it how about you tom first thing before i forget is the homecoming of the sampsons and Qantas white hollis price yeah. going back to oklahoma norman the sampsons still have many many friends i think calvin mentioned the other day everybody needs to have a hometown and norman is mine so he looks very fondly on on those years Kellen grew up in, in Norman, played for Oklahoma. Lauren was grown up. Karen has many, many friends. Qantas was a great player at Oklahoma. And then Hollis Price is yeah. one of the greatest players in Oklahoma history, you know, first team All-American. So it's going to be, I think, uh, an emotional homecoming, especially with OU now heading off to the SEC. So it's the one time that we're going to get play in, in Norman. OU – like Bill said, you know, they're they're good defensively tonight. They only gave up 25 points in the first half to ISU. The problem is they only scored 20 points, so they were down 25-20 at halftime. 
I think right now it's a uh, it's eleven point second half lead for ISU's OU's led by Coach Porter Mosier, formerly at Loyola Chicago. If you guys recall Loyola Chicago, the year they made the Final Four, very very fun team to watch. They were really really good offensively. You know the players he had at Loyola just ran his system. They were just perfect for it and. You can't say the same thing about OU. I, I wouldn't say OU is a fun team to watch. So, you know, he's recruiting different types of players. So I think it's a little bit of a struggle there with Porter Mosier at, at Oklahoma trying to get his guys to to play how they did at Loyola Chicago. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy one. None of them are. Hopefully we can put two halves together, both offensively and defensively. You know, we've shown we can score – in the low 40s on offense in a half, but we struggled to put two halves like that together. We've been holding teams 17 points the other night, low 20s, mid 20s, and then the next half it seems like we give up 42, 41, 44 points. So I'm looking to see if we can put two halves together on both ends of the floor, and if we do that, it could be a 20-point win. From an advanced analytics perspective, we're number one in Kempom versus OU at 38. If you look at from an offense perspective, we're 18th currently in adjusted offensive efficiency, while OU is 24 in adjusted defensive efficiency. On the flip side, as everyone knows, we remain number one in adjusted defensive efficiency in the country versus OU, who is ranked 58th in adjusted offensive efficiency. On offense, OU is one of the better shooting teams we'll have played this season, and they're ranked 49th in a effective field goal percentage, and are especially deadly in two-point range, ranking 29th in Ken Palm. But they have been turning the ball over a ton, ranking 222nd in Ken Palm in turnover percentage. They count on scoring a lot via the free throw line, so our defense will be put to the test yet again. Then you match that up with our number one effective field goal percentage, D, that defends every shot. That specifically is number five, defending the two-point shot, second in block shots, and number one in steals. And I really like how we match up versus OU's offense. On the flip side, OU's D has been great this year for OU, where they've improved to number 24 in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Their strength is with effective field goal percentage D, where they're ranked 27th and exceptional at defending the three-point line, where they're ranked eighth. But they don't force a lot of turnovers, ranking 200th, or block a lot of shots, where they're ranked 185. Keys for us will be how much we can turn them over to manufacture points in transition and controlling the paint area on D. Based on the metrics, this is projected to be a seven-point win for the Cougs on the road by Ken Palm. I'm actually in agreement on this one. And so I think this is going to be the first time where my predicted margin of win is higher than Bill's. And I'm projecting a 68-61 win. Now let's get to the Wednesday preview for the subsequent UCF matchup or rematch in Orlando. Tom, why don't you kick things off and let us know what you think? I think it's going to be a very, very ugly game (laughs) versus UCF. Uh, UCF is... They don't seem to shoot very well. They defend. You know, they have some length. Like Helen says, it's going to be a street fight, a rock fight. I do think we win. But uh, if you're looking for a game that aesthetically pleasing, uh, you probably need to watch 
I don't know, Alabama maybe, and Kentucky. <laughs> is this is, is this going to be a war? Okay. How about you, Bill? What do you think? Well, UCF is... We were talking about this earlier, Steve. You had said 14 and 12. I thought they were 14 and 11 going into tonight. <clears throat> I could be wrong. <clears throat> Excuse me. They're, they're at Oklahoma State tonight and home versus ISU before playing us. I'm going to assume that we go to UCF with them at 14 and 13 and in real danger of, and we talked about this as well, missing the NIT because I thought you had to be 500 overall to make the NIT, and that mm-hmm. may have changed, but uh, but if, if that is the case, they're going to be in real danger of missing the NIT. Yeah. You know, we played them in January. We won a incredibly low-scoring game, 57-42. They had 14 at half. They made seven shots for the entire game, two of which came from their starters. They did shoot 24 of 33 from the uh, line, and this was an afternoon where at the Fertitta Center where I think the officials were in a whistleblowing contest. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, see who could call more fouls. It, it was borderline ridiculous. Yeah. All when we were on D. I'll only mention two of their players, uh, their their backcourt, which is their strength. Jalen Sellers, a 6'4'2 guard. He's been <clears throat> solid all year at 16.5 points, four boards, but he only shoots 42% from the field. Darius Johnson's the 6'1 point guard. Another good player, averages 14 points, three boards, four assists. He shoots 40% from the field. They've been a very good defensive team this yes. year, you know, for a 500 team, basically. Uh, they, they play very good defense, especially at home, but they are a terrible offensive team, not yes. a good shooting team, <laughs> and that's problematic against us. Unless, of course, all their shots come from the free throw line again, and, and hopefully yeah. the game will be a little more balanced in terms of the officiating they are also a, a pretty sloppy team with the ball and and we you know we just talked about that with OU and we talked about it with Cincinnati and some of the others this is a team that turns the ball over the thing is they have beaten Kansas OU and Tech at home and and Texas they beat Texas on the road yeah, 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 yeah. The yeah, Texas one was on yeah. the road. Yeah. But uh, Kansas OU and Tech wins were at home. The, the problem for them is that nobody defends guards like like Shed, Cryer, and Sharp do. We're not a good matchup for them, especially when they're on offense. And if we control the boards, which I imagine we're going to do, we stay out of foul trouble. We hit some shots. We score off our own missed shots. I think we win this game easily, and I have us winning 68-54. Okay, so you're back to the bigger margins for this one. So This team just does not match up well with us. Yeah. I mean, from an advanced analytics perspective, we're, again, number one in Ken Palm while UCF is 68. We're... 18th in adjusted offensive efficiency. They are 13th in adjusted defensive efficiency. So probably one of the two toughest defensive teams we'll play this year next to Iowa State. On the flip side, we're number one in adjusted defensive efficiency. They are a dismal 171st in adjusted offensive efficiency. 
Like a few weeks ago on offense, UCF is just one of the few worse shooting teams than us, ranking 288th in effective field goal percentage. But our high in offensive rebound rate, where they're ranked 8th in the country. But to make things worse, they are also a high turnover team, which we saw at home in Game 1, ranking 198th in turnover percentage. They basically count on free throws for a good portion of their points each and every game. The new match add up with our number two effective field goal percentage D that defends every shot, number two D in block shots, and number one in steals, plus our great familiarity with each other. And I believe we shut them down again in this rematch. On the flip side, UCF is underrated on D if that can happen to the number 13th ranked adjusted defensive efficiency team in Ken Palm. Like us, they also challenge every single shot, ranking 33rd in effective field goal percentage D. They're especially exceptional at defending the two where they're ranked 17th and are great at forcing turnovers where they're ranked 29th. They've beaten, as you had highlighted, KU, OU, Tech at home this season. So if there's ever a definition of that dreaded trap game on our schedule, this is the closest thing to it. Key for us will be our three-point shooting and how much we can turn them over on D to manufacture points in transition. Based on the metrics, this is projected to be a 10-point win by Ken Palm with a tough road game at OU prior to this, I think this will be closer, but still a seven-point win. This is going to be a tricky one, so our Cougs need to try to stay focused for this game. Now, what other Big 12 games should fans pay attention to this week that are of interest? Bill, you want to go first? Sure. I have getting back to picking a an upcoming U of H opponent. I have Iowa State at the aforementioned UCF, and uh, no, no point in dwelling on UCF because we just talked about them. I'd love to see Iowa State go down and give us the Big 12 title a little earlier than than it will happen. But once again, this is not a game that UCF, even playing at home, is going to win. It's a bad matchup for them, just like it's a bad matchup for us. Iowa State's defense will prevent UCF's guards from getting going and unfortunately coming close to pulling off the upset you know the teams that are a little softer defensively are the teams that UCF has been able to beat Kansas Texas Tech it's unfortunately Iowa State's not one of those teams and neither are we so yeah bottom line is UCF is going to lose this game Iowa State will win it they'll win it comfortably I have Iowa State winning by a dozen nice How about you, Tom? I'll stick with my love for KU. Rock chalk, F y'all, like uh, Gaylor (laughs) Robinson likes to say. I'm going to be probably the biggest Baptist in the country on Saturday because they're at Baylor. Uh, Good game. But seriously, Baylor matches up well. I I expect them to win. Inside, you got Missy and Ojan Wuna who match up really well with Dickinson, especially if, uh, if Baylor goes zone, which I expect them to do. That's probably going to limit Dickinson a little bit. Baylor also has the athleticism and the length to match up with McCuller if he plays. And K.J. Adams, they have Jacoby Walter, who's just a fantastic freshman. And they also have Jalen Bridges, who's 6'9". So they have that length and that athleticism to match up with K. 
KJ and McCuller. Guards, you know, Ray J. Dennis has some height. I think he's like 6'4", so he can match up with Furphy uh, on the perimeter in their zone. And then you have Nunn also, who's quicker than a cat covering up crap. You know, he's really athletic. So I expect uh, Baylor win in this one. Yeah, give uh, KU their seventh conference loss. Wow. Okay, so I'm picking the BYU at ISU game. Fascinated by the contrasting styles again, especially after BYU's blowout win over ISU in game one. This is a rematch where BYU won the first one in Provo 87-72. And again, really ISU's only blowout loss of the season. So ISU will be looking for revenge. Great D in Iowa State versus Great O in BYU pitted against each other. BYU plays quick in transition for open threes. Why Iowa State plays a bit more deliberate and pounded in the paint for twos. BYU has been one of the most difficult offenses in the Big 12 to defend with their emphasis on the threes, where they're number two in three-point offense and number eight in two-point field goal percentage. Plus, as good as ISU is on D, where they're, again, number three in adjusted defensive efficiency, their three-point D is ranked a lowly 178th in Kempom. It is their one and only weak link on D. Based on the metrics, this should be around a five-point win for Iowa State at home. But based on matchups and the fact that BYU is riding high after beating KU and Lawrence, I'm projecting a BYU win by three. I like it. Yeah, I know you like it. But I'd love to see this kind of a uh, upset in the making. So we'll see. Perfect. Hey, Steve, yep. can, can I mention one thing real quickly? Absolutely. Thanks. Coming up on No Conference for Old Men podcast, we have a special podcast. And it, it's not only in-depth, but it, it's really comprehensive with U of H Athletic Director Chris Pesman. I would definitely tune in to listen to that because Chris does an amazing job, and it's, it's worth the listen. Absolutely. So that's it for episode 18 of the No Conference for Old Men podcast. Hope you all enjoyed it. And again, would really appreciate it if folks would follow, subscribe, or collect our podcast, depending on your podcast platform of choice. We are also available via the Republic of Football podcast feed from the folks at Dave Campbell's Texas Football as the only basketball-centric podcast, or at the gokooks.com website for those that prefer to digest the content that way. We appreciate the continued support from all. Also, please give us a follow on our Twitter account, No Conference for Old Men. Thank you all again for listening. And as Bill had highlighted, in addition to our usual episode, we will have a special edition episode dropping next week with VP of Athletics, Chris Pesman. So please be on the lookout to download and listen as the episodes drop. Take care, everyone.